Fiction can show you a different world. It can take you somewhere you've never been. Once you've visited other worlds like those who ate fairy fruit, you can never be entirely content with the world that you grew up in. Discontent is a good thing. Discontented people can modify and improve their worlds, leave them better, leave them different. And while we're on the subject, I'd like to say a few words about escapism. I hear the term bandied about as if it's a bad thing, as if escapist fiction is a cheap opiate used by the muddled and the foolish and the deluded, and the only fiction that is worthy for adults or for children is mimetic fiction, mirroring the worst of the world the reader finds herself in. If you were trapped in an impossible situation, in an unpleasant place, with people who meant you ill, and someone offered you a temporary escape, why wouldn't you take it? And escapist fiction is just that. Fiction that opens a door, shows the sunlight outside, gives you a place to go where you are in control, are with people you want to be with, and books are real places, make no mistake about that. And more importantly, during your escape, Books can also give you knowledge about the world and your predicament, give you weapons, give you armor, real things you can take back into your prison, skills and knowledge and tools you can use to escape for real. As J.R.R. Tolkien reminded us, the only people who inveigh against escape are jailers. Neil Gaiman, The View from the Cheap Seats, Selected Nonfiction. A lock shark. A fabulism. Chapter 22. The Abnegator. Music. A voice hisses in my ear. Epley's voice. Like, like a million tiny avalanches. It isn't language. It's music. It has no rhythm, no melody, but it's still music. I can't tell you how I know. You must hear it too. I hear nothing. I'm sensible of nothing, except her slim hand in my own. I can't say what I see or smell or hear, except for Epley's voice. Can you hear me, Absim? Where have you gone? She tugs on my hand. What have you become this time? But I do not know. I'm in some uncertain place between the cat-tongue world, the cuff, and my own insanity. All I know is that I've added something I did not have before. It rules me, overriding my senses and my thoughts. The dwelling of my mind is a fire, and only a tiny, squeaking, reasoning mammal remains within, scurrying to the corner. Gah! What has this thing done to me? It's distorting and unpleasant. Like I ate an eltine tome without chewing. It's not that I'm possessed. I should know. No, this is very different. Nothing tries to master me here. It's just that I've taken something into me that doesn't at all fit. As a master of compartmentalization, I'd treat this new condition as I've done all others, namely shove it into a chamber in my brain and lock the door behind it. But I cannot. It doesn't follow such simple geometrical rules. It is both a haze permeating everything within and without, and a stasis field that stretches my awareness to other mind-bending dimensions and realities. Epley pulls once more on my hand. Come on, come on, you're out of your body or something. Need to be shocked back in. She shakes me. 
then a cracking slap across my face makes light bloom behind my closed eyelids. But even the light slides off into this other thing. No, I need to touch him deeper. Her hand rests on my chest. Is she about to kiss me? Will that help? I find I've stopped breathing. She cups my chin, then squeezes my cheeks so that my mouth opens. A fibrous bit of something presses against my lips, not her soft mouth at all, more like a stale heel of bread. She forces it between my teeth and pushes with a long finger until I'm choking on it. She won't stop wrestling my head into position. Finally, my mouth waters and my appetite awakens. Food. Actual food. I can't recall the last time my body had nourishment. Dry and hard as a dirt clod, I gag the bit of bread down, bent double, following its scratchy progress from my throat into my belly. Ah, she was correct. Here is the root and wellspring of my body. Not my identity in my skull, nor my sexuality in my cock, nor anything but this base, snorting, farting, digestive biology of me. In my gut, I rediscover myself. My eyes on stick. Epley stands at my side in a small stone-walled chamber. She watches me with concern. I take a shuddering breath and look stupidly at a torch on the wall and the dark window beside it. I don't know where we are, yet it doesn't matter. Brilliant, my dear. I lift her hand and kiss it. She snatches it away. Feeding me. Saved me. Now, we must save you. Save me? Why? Save me from what? Where are we, Absim? No clue. I step to the window. Maha, back in the void. She joins me. We look out on the firmament of stars together. The vanity castle with its rocket towers blasts us across the known universe. If I wasn't so utterly depleted, I'd be thrilled. We've escaped that confounding blue globe. The cuff must have rescued us. But why? What was my last memory there? Ah, yes, power. Epley looks less enamored of her recurrent interactions with Infinity. Her face is pale and her eyes close with resentment. No, 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 not this again. Take me back home, at once. I never asked to be here. No, you did not. Neither did I. Yet who would we ask? The keep itself? I have yet to make any demands of it. Mayhap it will hear them. Ahem, Castle, this is your master, Absim, commanding you. Set us down in a lockshock, on Earth, at once. That is all. The stars wheel overhead, and our feet float briefly above the flagstones. We grip each other as the castle charts a new course. Epley smiles wanly at me. I put on a brave face and make a florid gesture with my hand. Eh, I suppose all it really took was my imperious tone. But when she looks out the window again, the hope in her face dims. She sees something out there that distresses her. I'd follow her gaze, but I enjoy too much studying the minutiae of her expressions. Absim, I kitten. She blanches and stomps on my foot with her heel to punish me for the word, but her eyes do not leave the window. Absim, look. I relish her imperfect and haggard face for a moment longer. 
Finally, I sigh and tear away my gaze. Whatever new impossibility exists out there will no doubt turn this brief, delicious bite of reality to mush. I bark in surprise. Fuck a frog! What is that? I'd seen so much aberrant weirdness lately that I was prepared for nearly anything other than what I see. Another castle, floating like us, in the void. But this one is magnificent, a dozen times the size of our tiny toy confection, and it is gold, solid gold. Its towers are topped by onion domes and narrow forked banners. Directed flares of blinding fire bloom from beneath, as with our castle. But there the resemblances end. This grand edifice would fit scores of our own within, and we race toward its dark gate with accelerating speed. Castle, stop. Castle, wait. I grip the window sill and try to exert my will on the stones, but still we approach until the golden walls loom over us. Finally, we halt, floating before its closed gate. Good castle. Sit. Stay. Who is that? Who? You're asking who? As if I might know anyone out here in the midst of nowhere, as far from Earth as any man has ever been? And yet you ask who? We will know no one out here, Epley. Nothing will hardly make sense. You might as well ask... Oh, wait, never mind. I do know him. That's a him? Mostly. An ancient elementar. Ketaflix. An Oriascaro of the Jean. Their exiled king. We have worked together before. Hello! I wave and smile while casting a side whisper to Epley. But where is his mistress, Rhine? The great banded golden gate of Ketaflix's castle slowly rises. The djinn stands inscrutably on his wall, four times my height, gold flashing from earrings and teeth. He's as tawny as a lion. His eyes are black and promise nothing good. He beckons to us, waving us in. Castle, do not go in. But the wicked little thing ignores its master and obediently sails through the gate. The great bands of gold close with a hollow boom behind us. Epsom, Totopas, Grill. The jean's voice is deep, cunning, filled with dark eddies and dust devils. How fares the Lord of Chaos? Swimmingly. I can't tell if my thin voice reaches him, so I smile and sketch a quick bow. However did you find me? I was not looking for you, and yet, here at the far boundary of reality you are. What mischief are you making out here, Dark One? Not looking for me? You're just rocketing about in your golden castle through the infinite vastness of the void? It is what my castle generally does, yet usually only upon cloud tops, not out here in the starry abyss. But stay... Why has my research led to you? What secrets do you now possess? So many. So, so many. Perhaps we can help each other. If you tell me what you research, then I can help with which secrets you might need. Yes, the Dark One is indeed a prize worth the last two years. The Jean leaps from the ramparts and sails down to the bailey in which our vanity castle sits. He lands lightly on the gold flagstones and approaches, the ground shaking with each footstep. 
Once you are mine, little man, I shall vivisect your body and remove all that is hidden. I shall consume your soul and gain your dread powers. Oh, shall you? Two questions first. Do you know the way back home? That stops him. He furrows his brow and thinks on it. I do. I have the way charted. Earth is a lodestone in my heart. As a creature of its sky, I can... Yes, yes, I'm sure you are. And the second question, is Rhine with you? Eh? Oh, her. No. I slipped free of her bondage. One of the great objects of power I collected granted me my freedom. He leers, leaping onto the curtain wall of our little castle, and then onto the edge of the balcony itself. Did you know, Epsim, that such a thing was possible? I did not. Useful, that. Quite. So, where is Rhine now? Down my gullet! The djinn snatches at me. Epley squeals and dives away, fleeing back within the tower. I fall back. The djinn gestures to the heavens. I have long plumbed the mysteries of prehelic astrology, mining the universe for objects of great power. My last readings of the moon and stars gave me a mysterious direction. I was to float far and free myself from the bounds of earth. For two years have I sailed thusly through this unchanging abyss, until finally I reach you. Are you an object of great power? I've been known to be. Or is it your pretty little castle? He leans down and extends a hand as big as a table. Or your pretty little maid? As he tries to snatch her, I swat his hand, and something stinging and vital passes from my skin to his. He draws his hand back and rubs it. We regard each other, both no doubt wondering what reaction our skins just made. I step forward, offering myself to him. Me. Just me, Oriascaro. The rest are trifles. Two years? Weren't you just hunting me down after my escape? And wasn't that last week? No, in truth, it could have been two years since then. I've lost all track. But he is as quick as a viper. His great golden hand seizes me, and I'm shot through with a nearly electrical thrill. But evidently he is too. His hand flies away from me with such force it whips his spinning body back against the main gate of my keep. I stand. The stones of the balcony smolder from the detonation. The djinn pulls himself upward with an outraged roar and glares at me. Fight Ketaflix. Well, if I must. Not what I had planned for the day at all. Yet if I can only subdue him and compel him to lead us home, I reach for my apophagy. But it remains absent, right in the void I'm as helpless as a babe. Fight him how? Intemperate as ever, the djinn launches himself at me again, arms wide. Ah! He blots out the light as his shadow falls on me. I brace for impact. The blast blinds and deafens me. Yet I remain unflattened. Incredible! And where has Ketaflix gone? An arc of smoke rises over the wall of my castle and slowly disperses. I find the djinn at its terminus, crumpled like an old coat against the main gate of his own castle. A fitting amount of damage has been done to him, and it is a long moment before he stirs. Ha! Attack Absim the Horrible, will you? I should bind him somehow. Yet how? 
and quickly, before he gets up. Lysophy would just irritate him. I'm no master of the air as he is. Do jinns even respond to phrygnomony? Do they possess tendons and connective tissues as we do? As a specialist, if I had longer to scan him, I might find some weakness, but I have no time. He stands again and scowls at me. The jinn makes a bowl of his hands and spins up a ball of air in it. With a defiant yell, I leap from the balcony. Crash. Ow. Without metal legs, I'd flatten myself against the flagstones of the courtyard, but the impact of my landing does little more than sprain my back, which is debilitating, no doubt, but better than death. I race across the courtyard of the Vanity Castle, my defiant yell still continuing, then out the gate into the golden courtyard of the wider castle. I exit the gate at full speed. He hits me in the teeth with his conjured sandstorm. But it has no effect on me. The sand collapses at my feet in scattered piles instead. So I keep yelling. I keep charging. I look up. My yell falters. There, on the golden wall above Cataflex, stands the slim figure of Rhine in a white Samite gown. I can tell by the sculpted cheekbones and overlarge forehead, even from here. I shake my fists at the jean. You lied to me. They ignore me, seemingly in consultation. I really have no other options, so I resume my defiant yell and charge across the courtyard. Yet it is so wide, made for a man five times my height, and my back is really beginning to hurt. Yet I run. Yet I yell. Now they watch me, laboring my way across the expanse. I grow nearer, my little brown fists raised to strike. When I get within a score of paces, Rhine suddenly lifts her hands and cries out in wild fury. She always was a dramatic one. A globe of sizzling air surrounds me, the sand and dust falling from it. But the instant her containment spell seals over my head, yet another of those horrid detonations splits the air and blasts it into tatters. Heartened by this, I scramble to my feet once more. Now I'm the one smoking, but I don't care. I press my advantage, coughing. Contact at last. With a final cry, I throw myself at Cataflex's knee, teeth gritted and eyes squeezed shut, waiting for the detonation. It does not occur. I beat on his leg with my useless fists, still yelling, but my hands slide off. I jab a phrygnomonic thumb into the attachment point that connects the wide outer tendon to the knee, but my thumb will not behave. I cannot press against him. I stop yelling. I'm panting, singed. Suddenly I'm very thirsty. I kick his shin, and he grunts. What's wrong with him, darling? Ryan drops her hands. Why can't we capture him? Some sort of protection spell. Ketterflick studies me. Of a type I've never before seen. I nod. I wonder what it is. As a test, I press my hand against the ground. It slides a bit sideways here, too, unwilling to accept the contact. The harder I press, the further sideways I go. Like some kind of opposing magnetism. But against the physical world and the arts themselves. Oh, what have I done? None of us have yet seen it, I gather. Ryan pulls a wand from the sleeve of her gown. He doesn't at all have a clue what's wrong with him, does he? Typical Apsim. She points the wand at me and mutters a command. 
the whole world goes white. And still I remain unharmed. I stand within the blank, detonating sphere of her arcane blast, and it sheets off me like water. I am immune. Ha! The white fire dies. I hear their curses. Pinsett's pearl. Look, Cat, he isn't even scorched. They regard me through streamers of smoke. I step free. Allow me to propose a truce. We may have common interests. Ketterflex holds up a hand. Oh, you'll think we're done. We're just getting started figuring you out. The djinn folds a square of time and space with a gesture and sends an invisible triangle of it arrowing at my head. Neat trick, that. I'll have to buy it off him. I dodge, poorly, and the edge of it contacts my cheek, drawing blood. But the instant it touches me, his invisible plane of force crackles and drops, spiraling, into an inexplicable hall of mirrors that can be nothing other than a different dimension. I actually get to watch the shimmering shard of it go, spinning away into incomprehension. Silence. I look behind me to see Epley in the tower's slit window, her mouth hanging open in stupefaction. What's happening here? Ryan's rising voice fills with anxiety. I recall her as a neurotic teen, just getting used to her internal fires. She turns on Ketterflix, who is as confounded as the rest of us. I do not know, my queen. We just opened a gate to a... possibly an alternative structure of physical reality. The djinn gropes for the words, glad to see I'm not the only one having trouble with it. But how? And what does it mean? The possibilities. Indeed, the ramifications. This might be a matter for Oswalden. Ryan drops her hands. That's what I was saying. I step back and put my hands on my hips to gain some sort of equal footing with the sorceress on the wall. For now, we call a truce. You get us back to a lock shock. We hash it all out there. No. The djinn pulls one of the great golden bricks from his castle's wall, the size of a coffin. He hurls it at me with all his might. Yawn. It caroms off me with only the slightest nudge. Then, unfortunately, it ricochets up into the nearest little tower of my vanity castle and caves the slate roof and top floor in with a poof of white dust. Lady, control your dog! Ketterflick snarls, but she holds up a hand to rein him in. Wait, don't let him provoke you. We must be clever, more clever than him. Ugh, I so despise Apsim. Is there any way we can get rid of him, dear Oriosgaro? The djinn has cooled his fiery blood and now looks at me with calculation. Working on it, love. It seems the Chaos Lord has modified himself. He exists somehow in a differing geometry. We must tell your brother that. A differing geometry. I stand straighter. Why, I quite like the sound of that. My own unique geometry. I bend reality about myself, I do. And all the Akonai doubted me. You were fools to spurn me. No one doubted your insane power, Absim. We just couldn't stand you. Oh, but we are beyond your gossip and your petty games now, Rhine. Though I will never forget the shame of Grand Mall Hall, which you then repeated in Jezeter Square. Even though I will never forget, it is behind us now. 
My power is too great to worry over such petty trifles as your mockery, entirely unfounded, of my sexual proclivities for livestock. But you cannot touch me now. I shall rampage unabated. What are you talking about, you dumb pervert? Look, I may not be a genius and scholar like Oswalden, but even I can see that your problem affects you too. You can't do anything to us either. You're imprisoned here in a world you can't affect, oh horrible one. You're harmless now. I hadn't quite grasped how true that is until she spoke it aloud. Tucker's twat, you're right. Fine. Then it's a truce whether you like it or not. Shall we eat? I'm starving. No. The insufferable Jean still isn't done. He may never be. They have enduring patience, these elementars. With a crooked finger, he tugs open a hole beneath my feet. But instead of dropping in as he planned, my body glances sideways, repelled from the opening, and I crack my metal shins against the gilt edge of the widening hole and slam my face forward into the floor. He opens it wider, and the uncanny orthogonal force that attempts to keep me from falling into his golden pit finally loses its purchase against the retreating floor. I drop. Upon landing at the bottom of the pit, I ricochet sideways against the wall. That impact slides me along until I settle in a corner. No, don't seal it. Just leave him down there. Ryan appears in a puff of white smoke beside the edge of the hole above, far above. The jean's great head appears beside her. And fetch that harlot, too. Put them both in there. Ketterflex is only gone for a moment. He reappears, frowning. She has vanished, sweetest. Where is she, Absim? She? Who? Epley has eluded them. A thrill of pride and a wave of relief somehow move through me at the same time. No, I really don't know. I hardly know anything about her. Yet I can't keep her out of my dreams. Rhine sighs and leans her head against the jean's leg. These were the most peaceful two weeks of my life, and I am sorry to see them end. Two weeks, I stand outraged. Cataflick said two years, she sniffs. Oh, please, Absim, once you saw me, you must have realized the lie. We've been hot on your trail since you escaped the lost dungeons. How did you manage that, by the way, to escape what no one has ever before escaped? Oh, that. Tis my secret and mine alone. Thou shalt never learn it. And when I exercise my wrath next, it will be you and your brother and your overstuffed slave here, wandering its lightless halls until you die. What if I remove the air from his pit? Ketterflix is still at it. Well, can you prevent more air from rushing in? I can try. Ketterflix reaches above him and rotates his hands while muttering a few exotic words. His eyes flash gold. A great wind whips past me, upward, to the light, leaving me in a cold, sucking vacuum. A clear film covers the hole's top, but as it seals, its edge breaks sideways and the film fails, as more air rushes in with enough force to slam me to the ground, from which I bounce, back to sliding against the wall and down again in the corner. Their heads appear once more at the edge. His protection aura keeps him from all harm. This is devilish hard. Ketterflick scratches his chin. A puzzle worth solving. Leave him with me. Who's leaving? 
Ryan smiles at me with glittering malice. We are cats, and this is our mouse. Our long journey back may be less tedious than I feared it would be, dear one. Shall we roast him in open flames, my love? By all means. It doesn't work. Although I do get uncomfortably warm and cold in turn. They try disintegrating my skeleton with sonic blasts to no effect, besides my ringing ears. They boil me in a golden pot, but I won't stay submerged. So they attempt to steam me, but they can't keep a lid on their pot. I like this one, lying on my back in a great golden kettle, looking up through the tendrils of steam at their frustrated glares. Opens the pores and clears out the toxins. I just want him dead. Ryan smashes her little fists together. I don't care about the reward anymore. I just can't stand how odious he is. Reward? I sit up. What reward? The Hummingbird Queen. She has offered to anyone who brings you back alive the entire province and ruins of Enduin. Enduin? But Enduin is mine. Hence why she is free to give it away. But whomsoever owns its thirteen geysers is the master of Similogy and the Cartupoc guilds. It is not to be just tossed like a bone to your favorite pet. It is mine. You invaded a prosperous and peaceful kingdom and put it to the sword, then turned its factories and steamries into a hellscape to manufacture your war machines. It is not yours, and I no longer care about Edwin. I just want you to stop living. Ketterflakes, there must be something we can do. Poison. I shiver as I imagine a liquid in my veins suddenly needing to go sideways. I hold up a hand. Wait, that won't work. No, I've got it. You've got what? The answer to how we can kill you? Yes, not that it will be enjoyable, but in the spirit of experimentation, I suppose it is what we should try next. What is? Well, I'll need you to open your minds. There's a sexual element to... Boom! 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 The castle shudders. I'm knocked from my feet again. Now, now, you don't have to be prudes. I wasn't going to... But I can tell from the way the djinn and his mistress look at each other that they also have no idea who rocks their castle so. The harlot. Ryan is right. I begin to laugh, recalling Epley's exploits. Ha! Yes, the harlot indeed. She is coming. Did you hear of the end of Dame Elephantine, or the destruction of the Red Penumbra's Celdile Castle? That was her. Oh, yes, it was. Your doom is now upon you. Our doom? Whatever do you mean? Who is she, Absom? Well, uh, I do not know myself, but in the end she may be greater than all of us. Flee. Cower before her might. Boom! 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 A great groan accompanies the falling shadow of one of the golden onion dome towers. It tilts across my limited field of view before crashing against the nearby flagstones. I cackle. Just who in all the hundred hells is Epley? There! Ryan points across the vast courtyard to the far golden wall. At the base of the fallen tower, climbing out. Kill her, love! Love to love. 
The djinn lifts his arms in summoning, but only a weak crackle of static plays over his arms. The ferocity on his face is replaced by disappointment. Ah, no storms to be summoned in the void. Then wind! He pushes against the air, and a white sideways column of compressed violence vanishes from my view. I can't see anything down in this hole. I try leaping up, but it only sends me against the wall and back into the corner. Well, at least this one can be hit. Ketaflix sends out more air blasts. Hit! What have you done? I rage impotently in the pit. Don't you touch her, you beast! Ryan screeches in fury. How is she still standing? She pulls pins from her hair. They flash with their own light, and she hurls them like daggers across the yard with a sound of tearing air. But I can't see where they land. Get back, Rhine. Ketaflex pushes his mistress behind himself. I'll protect you, my da- A blur hits the djinn in his torso and knocks him from view. Rhine picks herself up and turns to watch what must be an epic fight. Hands clapped over her mouth. What is it? Who's winning? I hop up and down at the bottom of the golden pit. My sliding feet kick out and my head glances against the floor. Get him, Daywalker! Tear his arms off! Use his cunning against him! Then I hold my breath and listen. Huge collisions shake the castle. Smoke rolls across my view. What's burning? It's all gold here! How can you make gold burn? Epley must be some minor goddess or force of nature. Perhaps she is the patron of storks or sponsor of hooded cloaks. Legions of sulking maids must worship her with limp offerings, which she then accepts with a shrug. Yield, Ketaflix, yield! Ryan stands crouched at the edge. She holds her arms up in surrender and looks down at me. Tell her, Aptim, you win. Just don't let her kill my djinn. Well... I am so thunderstruck words fail me, yet there must be some way to turn this new development to my advantage, but how? No, I shall not. Your pet must die. Ryan screeches. She draws upon all of her power, knitting lines of white and blue light into the air. Her face suffuses with light. The sorceress claps her hands, and a thunderbolt splits the air, knocking me from my feet. I slide once more into the corner. When I regain my feet and look up, all is silence. Rhine is gone. The battle has ended. Hello? My voice sounds weak and distant even to me. Nothing. I wait. Did Epley really kill Ketaflix? And Rhine? How? The sound of my own voice reassures me. That's a task I'd have difficulty accomplishing myself, in the seat of mine own power. Yet here she is in the void, cut off from all sources, and still she topples towers. Daywalker, come rescue me. But no, the silence stretches. Did Epley truly kill him? If so, then I may save myself from this hole with a dose of lysophy, with the master of air absent... My fingertips draw crossed lines beneath me. These will provide a solid mat of air upon which I might rise from this pit. Now to speak the keyword, to resolve it. Unespacht. Another detonation, this one from my unnatural nature, making contact with the lysophic arts. A mistake, that. But it does make me sail upwards from the pit and into the air. 
and as I fly, I have a sudden realization about the nature of my new power. The cat-tongue world had exhibited nothing during our stay there but a profound ability to reject what it didn't like. My new power is rejection of any and all. It must be. I laugh. Oh, how I laugh. Insane, wheezing, hacking, gales, tears streaming from my cheeks. Now I am the abnegator, the anti-lord, against whom all must stand. I'd ask them for their power, and by all the devils and demons, whatever it was that lived on the cat-tongue world had granted it to me. Epley, where are you? I must share my discovery. But the courtyard is empty. Blast patterns scar the gold flagstones, and as I approach them, I see great cracks riven through the thick floor, and depressions where the gold melted and repooled. No sign of Ketaflix and Rhine. Now it is only me. Two empty castles, one inside the other, and the master of rejection alone in the void. I've driven all others from me. With an inspired guess, I hold up the cuff that drags me again and again into mind-breaking trouble, that hateful relic of the Sulima. I reject you. With a shudder, it twists sideways and falls in two pieces at my side. As I gather them to my chest, my vision fades and the dream, for that is all this truly is, finally fades. <laughs> Thanks for listening to A Lot Shock. Stay tuned every week for new episodes. Tell your friends and keep an eye out for other stories told here on The Unuseful Hour. <laughs> <laughs>